Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Jared Kirk. I'm the, the lead pastor here at Renewal. And before we get into the message today, before we, we're in a series called Unshakable Faith, but before we talk about that at all, I just want to talk about Mother's Day for half a second, because Mother's Day is this wonderful, beautiful day where little kids um, color papers and make these horrendous gifts and give them with all the sweetness they can muster their moms. But I've also learned, because I've got a few years under my belt, I'm not old yet, I, ha- I have um, precisely one gray hair in my beard. But I've learned that Mother's Day is actually a bittersweet day for a lot of people. Because I know that there's a lot of you here that your mom's not with you anymore, and that makes Mother's Day a hard day. And I also know that there's some of you who are in here today who um, wanted to be a mom, but it just didn't work out that way for you. And there's others of you here today who have been through miscarriage or abortion, and you feel like there's a part of you that, that should have been a mom, but you missed out on it, and it's just very, very difficult day for you. And so I want to take a second, this was not planned in the service, but I want to take a second and pray for you, and then, and then we'll kind of dig into what we're actually dealing with today. Is that all right? All right, let me pray for you. God, I, I, want, to pray for, um, I want to pray for those who are here today, and Mother's Day is a hard day for them. God, I, I believe that you meet us in the middle of our hurts, and you're there with us. We're never alone in that. And I believe that those who are grieving can grieve with hope because of Jesus, because death is not the end, it's not final with Jesus, and I also believe that sometimes when the deepest desires of our hearts are unfulfilled, that it forces us to run to Jesus, and I just believe that heaven's going to give us the perspective we need on those hurts someday. God, for those who aren't hurting today but are celebrating, thank you. Thank you for those awesome moms in our lives that have blessed us along the way. And I pray that um, you would raise up godly women of faith who would be like mothers to those in this church who need it. We pray in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. All right, thanks for that, guys. So this morning we're talking about dealing with doubts, and we're talking about dealing with doubts with faith. Now, that's not a paradox. That's a possibility, and we're going we're gonna to look at that this morning. How can you deal with doubt with faith in your life? Because Everybody, most everybody, deals with doubt at some point in their life. Does God exist? Is he even there? Or sometimes doubt looks a little bit more like, um, does God even care? So maybe you believe that there's a God who exists, but you just, you don't know if he cares for you or not. You don't know if he cares. And so you deal with doubts in your life. It's so important that you face this kind of thing head on in your life. I've, I've kind of discovered that um, church has often, for many people, not been a safe place to talk about their doubts. And sometimes the more religious your family is, the more Christian your family is, the less safe of a place it is in your family to kind of bring up the issue of doubts. And so there's a lot of us in here today who, you know, we brought up questions that were serious questions to us, and we were really wondering about it, and we were kind of shamed for asking a question, like, hey, we don't ask that around here. Like, that's not what they said, but that's what they said. You know what I mean? Or they were, you know, or we were kindly but politely told that that was a stupid question, you know, Sunday school teachers are rarely like, that's a dumb question, Billy. Um, that'd be a weird Sunday school class. 
But they will kind of imply like, what, what are you even asking that for? But you know what? Sometimes when you ask those questions, it's a big deal to you, right? It's a big deal to you, and that's why you ask the question. Dealing with doubts is so incredibly important. And it's, it, it can affect you no matter how old you are. I heard a story um, this week about a boy who was nine years old. He came in to his mom's room, and he was crying. He said, Mom, I need to tell you something, but I'm, I'm just scared you're going to be so angry. And mom said, his mom said, no, it's okay, you just tell me. He said, okay, well, I was watching these videos on YouTube. And so the mom starts like looking around like, where's your dad? Because, and the little boy said, I was watching these videos on YouTube all about how God doesn't exist and religion is a myth, and I'm not sure I even believe in God anymore, he told his mom with tears streaming down his eyes. He was nine years old. Doubt is a serious part of life, whether you are nine years old or 90 years old, and it doesn't go away by pretending it doesn't exist. In fact, doubt is one of those things that can be planted in the back of your mind like a time bomb, and if you don't address it, eventually it will explode and blow up in your life into into just this kind of catastrophic failure to believe or live in line with the faith that you always held dear. And you're like, where did that come from? And it's because you never addressed the doubts, that question in the back of your mind. But if you have doubts, like I've dealt with doubts in my life, there's, um, there's some good news. Jesus once encountered a man that was full of doubt and had a little bit of faith. And when we look at his story, we learn how we can deal with doubts, and we also learn how God deals with doubts in his life. So I want you to take out your teaching notes today, because we're going to look in Mark chapter 9. And if you've got a Bible in your hands, you can pull that out and turn it to Mark chapter 9, because I'm going to read you some excerpts from this story about doubt. And I've named the story... The Deity, the Demon, and the Doubting Dad. Now, before we dig into that, I do want to say this. As we, di- as we talk about doubt today, there are some of you who are here, and as we've started talking about doubt, you have this burning question in your mind, and you're like, this is great. I've always wanted to know about fill in the blank. Okay? Well, here's the problem. I cannot address everyone's doubts in a, uh, in a sermon on Sunday morning. We just, we just can't do it. So here's what I want you to do. If you have a topic you want addressed write it down on the connection card under the you asked for it blank. But today, we're not looking at those individual issues. We're looking at how to deal with doubts with faith in your life. Like I said, that's a possibility, not a paradox. So let's look at the story together to figure out how to deal with doubts with faith. Starting in verse 14, I'm going to read some excerpts here. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them, and some teachers of religious law were arguing with arguing with them. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus... It threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell on the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. 
The Spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can? Asked Jesus. Anything is possible if a person believes. The Father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. Jesus took him by the hand, verse 27, and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Afterwards, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Jesus replied, this kind can only be cast out by prayer. Now, in this story today, we see a couple of different things, and I want you to write these down. I went crazy with the blanks today. I just went nutso, so you're going to have to take some notes to follow along. Here's the first thing we see in that story. We see common causes of doubt. So write that down, common causes of doubt. And as we work through these common causes of doubt, I want you to ask yourself, is this ever, has, has one of these been the causes of doubt in my life? See if you resonate with any of these. Here's the, the first common cause of doubt is suffering. There's another blank. Write that down. The dad in this story is hurting because his son can't speak and is having seizures. And when you are hurting, why is this happening can often become, God, why are you letting this happen? Can easily become, God, if you cared, you wouldn't let this happen. Can become, obviously, God, you don't care. You're probably not even there. Now, that is not the most logically sound chain of arguments that's ever existed, but I bet every one of in this, us in this room has had that same mental process work itself out in our lives as we have endured pain and suffering. Nothing can cause us to doubt God faster than the suffering we experience in our own lives. Sometimes you hurt so bad that you wonder if God is even there at all. So that's the first common cause of doubt. Here's the second one, intellectual arguments. We see in verse 14 that when Jesus returns, he had just come down off of a mountain with a couple disciples. He comes down in and he sees this whole crowd of people. And what are they doing? They're arguing. They're arguing. And it's scribes, which... Um, the NLT translates as religious leaders. And if the scribes are arguing, they're arguing about one of two things, theology or philosophy. So the scribes were like basically the internet trolls of Jesus' day. <laughs> and these arguments have a way of, um, they have a way of putting cracks in your faith and creating doubt in your soul. Because there's one side saying, yeah, it's like this, and the other side saying, no, he can't heal, or yes, he can, or you know, he can't heal because of this or because of that, and just the back and forth and the back and forth can cause you to throw up your hands and say, I don't know. In fact, you can get so bogged down in the arguments that you say, you know what, I don't think anybody can know. And that's how you end up agnostic. There's no way you can know. Intellectual arguments cause doubt in your life. Now, sometimes people's intellectual arguments are really cover for a deep down hurt in their life that has caused doubt. But a lot of times it's legit. A lot of times it's legit. And maybe you, maybe you grew up in a home of faith and then you went away to college. And in college, your professors thought they were doing a good job at their job if they could deconstruct your childhood faith and sow doubt in your life. They probably weren't trying to be evil. 
They were probably just thinking they were doing a good job, trying to cause doubt in your life. Intellectual arguments are serious. The third common cause of doubt, imperfect spiritual examples. You see this in verse 18. You know, this, this dad that we see in the story has some incredible faith in his life because he, come, he brings his son to Jesus, but five minutes before that, Jesus' disciples couldn't heal his son. And I, I just wonder, like, if he went through that experience and he, he, he finally works it up to bring his son and, and they can't heal him, he must have doubted whether Jesus could do it. I mean, here's Jesus' followers. They can't do it. And so maybe in your life you doubt because you were at a point in your life that you needed help and you went to the church or you went to Christians and you went to go get help and you, and you, got, you got less than help. You got hurt more than you got helped. And that can cause doubt. Or there's another kind of imperfect spiritual example that's not in this text, but we're all familiar with it, which is when a Christian leader fails morally or lives extravagantly. I mean, talk about an imperfect spiritual example. Have you seen these guys that have like four private jets? That is ridiculous. I keep myself down to one private jet at all times. <laughs> Jesus said, if you have two cloaks, you give one away to somebody who has none, and so two private jets, right out. No, we all know imperfect spiritual examples and, and how deeply that can cause doubt in your life. Okay. Number four, the fourth common cause of doubt, unanswered prayers. In verse 21, the dad says that this has been happening to his son apparently for years, and you have to use your imagination a little bit, but it's not hard to make the stretch that the dad's probably been praying for his son for years. Fair, right? So if this has been going on for years and God hasn't acted, then you can begin to doubt pretty easily is God ever going to act? Maybe God's not even there. Maybe that's why nothing is happening in my life. Because you can't see God's timing. And so in that in-between period, when you're waiting and you have unanswered prayers in your life, doubt springs up. And for many people in our church, this can look like still being single. And it can, it can easily go from, God, is this ever going to happen? To, God, why aren't you doing this? To, Maybe God's not there at all. Maybe he doesn't care. This could be the same thing when you're stalled out in your career for years and years on end, if that's a big thing to you, and maybe success is a huge deal in your family. You, these unanswered prayers have a way of causing doubt in your life or spiritual dryness. And the last one, recurring sins. Now, I don't see recurring sin in the doubting father. I do see the sin of unbelief in his life. That's called a sin in Hebrews. And I don't know what that looked like for him, whether that was years of skepticism and cynicism, or maybe it was just a momentary lack of belief brought on by the chaos of the situation and the arguing and the failure of the disciples. But I wanted to take a chance to acknowledge that sin can cause doubt in your life. This is part of what happened to me. When you have this habitual sin in your life for years and years and years, and you want to change, but you can't change, you start wondering, God, why, why won't you help me? Some of you have struggled with addiction or you have family members who have struggled with addiction and you want to get out of that cycle. You want to get out of the sin. You want to get out of that and you're like, God, help, but it doesn't seem like there's help coming. And that can go on so long that you say like, you know what, maybe there's just not even a God in heaven because if there was, why wouldn't he help me? And so sin over time can cause doubt like that. 
You start doubting his power. So those are the major causes of doubt that we see in the text. We see suffering, intellectual arguments, imperfect examples, unanswered prayers, recurring sins are all common causes of doubt. But that's not all we see in this story. We also see the courage of a doubting dad. You get this feeling when you read the story that this dad has some serious courage. Mark 9, 17. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. So one of the ways that you see this man's courage is that you have to understand that in that society there was a belief that if your children um, had, had major health issues or handicaps, that everyone in that society believed that God was punishing you, the parents, for your sin. We see that in some other places in the Gospels. It was a common understanding of the time. So the dad has to, first of all, um, he has to risk public scorn to bring his son to Jesus. So we see a lot of courage there. We also see courage where he perseveres because the disciples can't heal his son. And you think, okay, so think about this. If you, are, if you, if you have doubts in your life and you're full of doubt and you're not sure if Jesus can heal your son, but you're hoping and you bring your son to the disciples and they can't heal him, basically your worst fears have come true. And not only is your son not helped, you're embarrassed. But still, he does it again, right? He still finds a way to come to Jesus to bring his son to Jesus. I just see a lot of courage there in that dad. He has to risk looking foolish. He has to have the courage to stay with it until he gets to Jesus. He also has to have the courage to be honest in front of a whole crowd of people. Like, in our society, most of us don't even talk about our faith or our religion publicly. Like, we don't talk about God with our coworkers very often. That's just not a thing that you do. Here, this guy is called out by Jesus, and he's like, so, are, do you have faith, or are you full of doubts, or why don't you just tell the whole world what you're thinking? Tell us your deepest, darkest secrets, basically. The guy has to confess his doubts in front of a crowd. There's a lot of courage in that. He says, I do believe. Help my unbelief. That's a courageous thing to say. That's a lot of honesty. So we see the courage of a doubting dad. Okay, so we've seen the common causes of doubt, the courage of a doubting dad. And here's the last thing we see in the text, the compassion of Jesus. The compassion of Jesus. It's really stunning to me here. This is my, actually my favorite thing about the whole story. Because it's, it's just incredibly stunning to me how Jesus treats this man. Because you think about what Jesus talks about all the time. He's always talking about faith. I mean, Jesus is constantly talking about how important faith is in your life. That's why we talk about faith all the time as a church, right? Like Jesus was all about faith all the time. And if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, and if you have faith, you can say to this mountain, if you have faith, if you have faith, you have faith. And here's this guy who shows up. He's got like this much faith and this much doubt. And Jesus is like, I'll take it. I love that, right? Like, Jesus is not waiting for that guy who's just like, like the, I just have so much faith, Jesus, right? Like, it's like, no, he like takes what you bring. He, he comes to you because he cares about people. And he knows how broken people are. He knows how, how much doubt that we have. And he's still compassionate. Mark 9, 25, in our story, when Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Jesus shows them compassion by healing his son, he shows compassion by giving them grace. Grace is just help that you haven't earned. 
Grace is something you get not because you deserve it, but because the person who's giving it is gracious. That, that's grace. And that's Jesus here. The dad doesn't have amazing faith. He doesn't have great theology. He's just got doubts. He's got more questions than answers. He's full of skepticism and maybe a little bit of cynicism. He has exactly enough faith to show up to say, hello, Jesus, I'm not sure about all this, but if you can help, do your thing. And Jesus heals his son. You know, I see the compassion of Jesus here in another way, too. Jesus shows this guy a lot of grace um, because when the dad first comes to him, he, he expresses his doubt, he, right? He comes up to Jesus and he says, um, help us if you can. So that's fundamentally asking for help by expressing doubt. Help us if you can. Well, Jesus loves this guy so much that he wants the dad to know. He wants the son to know. He wants the scribes to know. He wants the disciples to know that he's not healing in response to this guy's doubt, but that there is faith buried in here, and Jesus will take whatever faith you bring him. And so Jesus basically challenges the man and forces him to reframe what he's saying. Right? So he le- the guy starts with doubt, and he says, help me if you can. And after Jesus challenges him, he leads with faith. And he says, I do believe, but help my unbelief. And when the dad expresses the little bit of faith that he does have, Jesus says, that's it, bingo. He wants them to know that he's healing in response to faith because the dad has both faith and doubt inside of him. So Jesus shows him the grace to heal his son, to expose the bit of faith in the man's heart, And this is how he is with the dad. This is also how he is with us. Jesus works because of his amazing grace, not because of our amazing faith. Right? Like, and when we sing the famous song, we don't sing amazing faith, how sweet the sound. We don't. It's about his amazing grace. Not, it's, not, it's not our amazing faith. You know, if, if you have this much faith and you turn to Jesus and say, I, I, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. He will forgive you for every mistake that you've made and every intentional sin you've committed. Every bit of your past can be washed white, white as snow, because of his amazing grace, not because of your amazing amount of faith. If you turn from your sin to follow Jesus, he will give you the power that you need to change today. He'll give you the Holy Spirit. When you, when you turn from your sin to follow Jesus, God gives you the Holy Spirit in your life and it's his job to lead you and guide you and make you more like Jesus. And God will give you the power to change because of his amazing grace, not because of your amazing faith. When you, when you come running to Jesus and say, I do believe, help me with my unbelief, he will give you the security of, it, of an eternity in heaven with him, a hope for the future because of his amazing grace, not because of your amazing faith. And in all of that, I see the compassion of Jesus on display. So those are the three things that I see in the text. And what I wanna do is we're basically halfway through our message is I just wanna pivot now And I want to look at four keys to courageously facing my doubts. So like when it actually comes to you in your life, when you're trying to deal with the doubts and engage with your doubts, what is it that we learn from the doubting dad and the interaction with Jesus so that what does he actually do 
to help him deal with his doubts with faith. Okay? So that's what I want to do for the rest of our time. Four keys to courageously facing my doubts. And here's the first one. Act according to the faith I do have. The doubting dad is full of both faith and doubt, but he goes in action according to his faith. If he lived by his doubts, he would have stayed home. He would have stayed on the recliner. But because he has faith and he acts on that faith, he encounters Jesus, and Jesus miraculously helps him. Now, I mentioned this verse earlier, but Jesus one time said, you don't need a lot of faith. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. If you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Now, everybody do something for me. You got a program when you came in. Take out your pen. Everybody got your pen? Click your pen. And I want you to look at the tip of your ballpoint pen. You see the little ball in there? That's the size of a mustard seed. Jesus says, you bring me that much faith, I can move mountains. You act on that amount of faith, and God's grace takes over. Because it's not about how much faith you have. It's about his grace. It's not about how much faith you have. It's about how big your God is. I have a a distant family member like through marriage, like a couple, couple generations away, who just before they died, at a ripe old age, said, I guess I didn't have enough faith for God to heal me. Now, I wasn't there in the room, but when I was told that, you know what I thought? That is the worst theology I've ever heard in my life. It is the worst picture of God a belief that if I had more faith, that God would always heal me, that what, that you could just live forever? Listen, God's not waiting for you to work up more faith or pretend like you don't have doubts for him to move in your life. He'll deal with faith the size of a mustard seed. So, act according to the faith I do have. So the question becomes, maybe you're full of doubts. Maybe you came here today and a friend invited you here. You don't even know what you're doing here. This is your first time in church in your life. And you say like, listen, I got more doubts than you got answers for. Hey, buddy, I got all kinds of questions. You're not answering any of them today. Well, listen, here's the challenge is act according to whatever faith you do have. Do you have enough faith to show up next week? Then do that. Do you have enough faith to come back to the next teaching series where we, we, we actually talk about the topics people are asking about during you asked for it? Do you have enough faith to come every time to you ask for it that you're in town? Then do that. Do you have enough faith to join a community group? Sign up, start next week. To surround yourself with other people who are kind of dealing with their doubts with faith in their life? Then do that. Do you have enough faith to read a book to try to find answers to some of your questions? Then do that. Like Whatever you have enough faith to do, do that. But act according to the faith that you do have. Doubt will keep you sitting in your recliner. Faith will get you moving towards God. So the first key was act according to the faith I do have. Here's the second key to courageously facing my doubts. Honestly admit my doubts to God and others. 
The doubting dad starts off pretty pretty tentative, but when Jesus challenges him, he just comes right out and says it, I do believe, but help my unbelief. He's a mix of faith and doubt, but hiding his doubt does not help him. Acknowledging it gives him access to God's grace. Mark 9, 24, which is in our story today, is our memory verse. It says, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And, you know, we do a memory verse every single week here, and a lot of times, you know, you just kind of mentally skip over it. But if you're dealing with doubts in your life, this might be the week for you to say, you know what, I'm going to memorize that verse. Like, how hard is it, right? Like, I do believe, help my unbelief. You've got it already, don't you? You're like, good job, guys, actually. Maybe you need to wake up every single morning and make that verse your prayer. Just the first thing on your lips each morning where you wake up for a week and say, God, I do believe, help my unbelief. And you cry out to God, God, what, how can you help me deal with these doubts? How can I help with these doubts? You know, honestly admitting it also means facing it. We mentioned this in the beginning. If you are diagnosed with a serious illness in your life, if you're diagnosed with cancer, God forbid, you need to know it, you need to face it, you need to address it and treat it. And if you don't, it will spread silently in your life and when you finally come back to address it, it will be too late. Doubt is like that. When you face it head on, you admit that it's there and you acknowledge it and you start dealing with it and you make a plan and you attack it, you got a chance. But if you don't and you just let it hide in the dark, it will grow silently until it explodes in your life. So you have to honestly admit it. Maybe you need to bring in some Christian friends who can help you. I mentioned community groups start next week. And there's probably nothing more helpful when it actually comes to dealing with doubts than talking to other people who have dealt with the same thing you have, who are going through it. Talking to the pastor can be helpful but he's the pastor. (laughs) When you talk to other people who are in it every single day of the week and they're dealing with the same things, it can help you deal with your doubts. Maybe for you, you need to come to Discover Renewal, which is next Sunday. And you say, "I I know I have faith, but I'm struggling with doubts. I need a spiritual family to help me get through this. Come to Discover Renewal. You can sign up on your connection card. So honestly admit it. Number three, risk looking foolish to find the truth. This is a big one. Risk looking foolish to find the truth. The doubting dad didn't just risk looking foolish to find the truth. He did look foolish. The disciples could not help him. A theology argument broke out. He had to admit his faith and his doubts about God in front of a crowd. And some of, some of you are here today and you're seeking God. You're full of doubts. But you're so worried about what other people are going to think of you that you just, you can't keep taking steps forward. So you're not actually seeking the truth. You're seeking other people's approval. And if you're more worried about what they think of you than what God thinks of you, you're not gonna find God. You're gonna find their approval, which is what you're really seeking. The Bible has these incredible promises in there about ask and you'll find, you know, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open to you. But the question that comes with that promise is, are you really seeking Are you seeking to know God? Do you want to find God? Do you need a solution for the problem of your sin? Do you need to find eternal life? Like, if you are seeking, you will find. But if you are more worried about what they say than what he says, it'll be hard to find him. It'll be very hard to find him. You might have to risk looking foolish. 
I've found that when people flip that script upside down, they tend to deal with their doubts. When you say, I want to look like Jesus, I don't care what they say. You tend to move forward in faith. But if the, if the narrative running through your mind is, I don't want to be one of those people who fill in the blanks, it's going to be hard for you to find the truth. Because it just shows that you're, you're so concerned about what other people think. Um, 1 Corinthians 3.18 talks about this idea. It says, stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you are wise by this world's standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. In other words, there's a lot of things that our society thinks that are really wise that are really foolish. And you have to risk looking like a fool to everyone if you want to find true wisdom. But can I just encourage you for a second? Like, there is, I mean, if you wanted to really be a rebel, if you wanted to be just like the most countercultural person you could possibly think of, then just like get a good job, get married young, have a few babies, follow the Lord with your life, and leverage everything you possibly could for the spread of the gospel. It would be the most countercultural way that you could possibly live. Tattoos are so 10 years ago. I mean, I mean, seriously, it, you know, there's a kind of wisdom that comes from the scriptures. Maybe it looks foolish to other people. You got to get to the place where you say, you know what? I, I, don't, I don't care. Why would I care? Like, why would I care what my coworkers think about me? Seriously. Have you, have you met them? Now, that's Nicole. Sorry, Nicole. I didn't mean you. I just meant like metaphorically. I care what you think. Right. But, but you know what I'm saying? Like, like when I was younger, I used to work in a hospital, and um, this was like way out in the sticks in North Carolina, and so, and so they, my, 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 my coworkers would drive in from all over North Carolina. They thought that was, I was the weirdest guy they'd ever seen in their entire life, and I love those people to death, but I just could not care less what they thought about me. It just didn't matter. You got to get to that place in your life. If you want to deal with your doubts, if you want to find the truth, if you want to seek and actually find God and know God and understand God, you got to get to that place. Okay, here's the last thing. You've got to persevere toward God through, through the setbacks. You know, I, I love how the doubting dad will go through anything to get his son to Jesus. You notice that? He just doesn't give up. He just doesn't stop. In the same way, I want to encourage you to persevere through your setbacks when you're dealing with your doubts. Have you read a book where you felt like the argumentation was weak? I, I was listening to a podcast a couple weeks ago where the, um, the host was talking about how he had read this, this Christian book on apologetics called The Case for Christ, and he thought it was the worst book he had ever written, read in his life. He said, you know what? I like that book. He hated that book. Okay. Find another book, right? Like... You talk to a Christian and you feel like, you talk to a Christian friend, you feel like they don't have great answers, we'll find, you know, talk to somebody else. Like, we're talking about eternity on the line here, right? We're talking about, is there a God in heaven? Do I have to give an account of my life to somebody at the end of my life? Do I actually have to stand in front of someone and give an account for every word I've spoken, everything I've done, for every dollar I've ever spent? Like, 
If that's the case, then like this is worth persevering to get it sorted out. So if you read a book you don't like, read another book. If you talk to a Christian who doesn't give you good answers, talk to another Christian. There's incredible resources out there. Keep searching, keep seeking. Hebrews 12, one through two says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. According to this, when you turn from your sin to follow Jesus, there is a crowd of witnesses in heaven cheering you on to cross the finish line with perseverance, with endurance, and, want you to, and they want you to keep your eyes on Jesus. Now, in your notes, I want you to circle that word, perfects. You catch that? It was so quick, we almost ran right by it. Jesus perfects your faith. Do you know why? Jesus knows your faith isn't perfect. Jesus knows my faith isn't perfect. Jesus knows that we have doubts. But not only does he start our faith, he will perfect, he will complete our faith over the course of a lifetime and then in eternity. What we do by faith now, we will one day see with our eyes. We won't need faith then. Now we need faith. And Jesus perfects our faith. And this is why you don't just need the example of Jesus, because Jesus lived the perfect life of faith. He's the perfect example of faith in God, even when it led to suffering in his life. But you don't just need the example of Jesus. You need a savior. Because on the cross, Jesus died for people who were full of doubts. Jesus died for people who, who for years, stopped seeking Jesus died for, for people who sometimes they, they acted on their doubt instead of their faith and they just sat back in the recliner and watched Netflix instead of actually pursuing God with their life. Jesus died for people who, who passed their doubts on to the other people around them and spread doubt like a cancer throughout their life. In other words, Jesus died for people like us to perfect our faith, to give us faith. and one day to bring us safely home to God. So listen, I don't, I don't know why you're doubting today, and I, but I bet you've got some good reasons. Whether it's the suffering you've endured in your life, whether it's the intellectual arguments that have just been gnawing at your soul, whether it's been horribly imperfect spiritual examples, I, I'm not sure why you're doubting. But I know this, if you look at Jesus on that cross and it sparks just the tiniest bit of faith in your life, just a mustard seed of faith, you bring that to him and he'll do the rest. That's all you need. So yeah, maybe you're full of doubts, but you can deal with those doubts with faith. You can deal with those doubts with faith and persevere to the end and find Jesus waiting for you at the finish line.